0: Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church sermon podcast. I'm Joel Hudson. I'm the worship pastor here at Rolling Hills, Nashville. These past few weeks, we've been in our series, Christmas, The Supporting Cast. You may have heard the story of the Magi, or the three kings who came bearing gifts for baby Jesus in the past. But today, we wanna take a closer look at the significance of the Magi coming to see the Messiah. Their presence is such an important part of the Christmas story as we can learn from the sacrifice, the humility, and the generosity of their gifts and their arrival. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Hey, welcome and Merry Christmas.
1: I'm glad that you're here. My name is Nick Allen, and I get to be, just a fortunate opportunity, get to be the campus pastor of this location of No Rolling Hills. If I haven't met you before, I would love to this morning before you leave, just to, Shake hands, high five, wish you a Merry Christmas, and tell you a little bit more about the life of our church. We're in the middle of a series called Christmas the Supporting Cast. Which means we've been flipping the nativity around and kind of giving our attention to the people in the story, the people in scripture that don't often get a lot of play this time of year because we're used to the idea of an angel visiting a a young girl and telling her that she was going to be the mother of the Christ child. We're we're used to the idea of of a very reluctant engaged guy going I'm not really sure if I can marry and support this girl. We're, We're used to the idea of shepherds hearing from angels to go into the town of Bethlehem to find the Christ child lying in a manger but some of the people that we've looked at starting with the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back through the old testament to figure out where he came from and then the first people to recognize and call and declare him the messiah these prophets these elderly people literally in the temple waiting for the christ child to be presented to this morning we we turn our attention to some characters that do often make their way to our nativities it's the magi Now, I don't know, when you think of Magi, you're automatically thinking of gifts. You know, they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. And so first on your mind right now, as you lean into this last week leading up to Christmas is, have you finished your Christmas shopping? (laughs) We had a funny call from my sister on Friday, just before we gathered together with my side of the family, a couple of hours before we were all getting together, calling me from a store, asking me what my son would like. Just a few hours before. Some people, y'all know who you are. You wait till the very last possible minute. She didn't forget to do it. That's just the time that she planned to start doing it. Some of y'all are going to be at the mall on Christmas Eve trying to figure out what somebody's going to open up the very next morning. Susan and I are very fortunate to be able to figure out years and years and years ago how to do gift giving with the kids at home. They literally get a poem. Something you want, something you need, something to wear, something to read, and that's it. And it just sets up such good guardrails for giving. We never have to figure it out. Like if it fits in the poem, then we can do it, you know, four, no more. And this is what we're doing on Christmas. And it provides an opportunity. Even then it can get complicated. But it does provide an opportunity to, to push some of the things that we get so stressed out about at Christmas to the sidelines, to, to, to offer margin and space to hopefully focus on what really matters. We do some other non-traditional things as a family and through this series I've been able to share several of those like celebrating Saint Nicholas Day on December the 6th, traditionally looking at a a 3rd and 4th century saint who honored Christ by giving gifts that 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 furnished freedom for people in need. It's a way that we can celebrate Christ and honor him at Christmas. We do Hanukkah at the Allen house. And we believe as much as anything else that this festival of light and lighting the light on that candle every night is a reminder that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, whereas some of the more cultural opportunities to celebrate Christmas distract us from the real meaning of it. Some of the non-traditional things allow us to see it even more. This year, I came in contact with a a, a Mexican Christmas tradition called las, I'm not sure I say it correctly, pasadas. It literally means the ends. And it's a nine-day celebration in Latin America leading up to Christmas where they they focus on the fact that Mary and Joseph had nowhere to go, had nowhere to to lay the baby, had no place to, and it's a reminder to be hospitable and welcoming to others as we focus on Christ at Christmas. And then after the new year, we'll celebrate Epiphany. Twelve days after, it's more common in Western and Orthodox churches, it's an opportunity to be reminded. It's when we think about the wise men. The wise men, January the 6th will turn our attention 12 days after Christmas. Did you know that the song that we sing, The Twelfth Day of Christmas, it's, it's not 12 days leading up to Christmas, it's 12 days starting with Christmas. And it pushes our attention to the idea of epiphany when Christ was made available to Gentiles, outsiders, you, you and me. So when you think about Christmas... When you think about the cast of characters, those that are familiar that you've talked about your whole life, the idea of shepherds, or, or those that are unfamiliar, people that you've never even considered before, like a, a Simeon or an Anna, when you think about Christmas start to finish and you look at the cast of characters, who do you connect with the most? Who, who do, you, do you resonate with the most? What part of your cultural, traditional Christmas celebration points you to Jesus the best? We're leaning in this morning and seeing what role the wise men have to play in our lives. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, you can turn your physical copy, your pages, or you can flip up your mobile device and look up Matthew chapter 2. Words will also be on the screen. We're going to read the first few verses together as we encounter what is a familiar story in hopefully an unfamiliar way. Starting in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, this is Herod that we know as Herod the Great, the start of the Herodian dynasty, the, the builder of so many buildings, the, the, the curator of so many opportunities. He was basically in the police state of Rome. He was the guy that was set over the Judean Regent, and he wasn't even Jewish. Scholars tell us that he was Idiomian, which means that he came from the Old Testament Edomites, which descended not from Jacob and and the rest of the Jewish family, not the genealogy that we talked about with Jesus the week before coming through the line of Jacob, but from his twin brother Esau. And right at the beginning, we find these magi, they're Zoroastrian worshipers, they're magicians. That's where we get the word magi or, or astrologers, people that looked at the stars to figure out what's going on right now and what's gonna happen in the future, likely about 1,500 to 1,600 miles away from this region. They're coming likely from Persia or even beyond. It's basically if you got in your car today and decided that you're gonna drive from Nashville to Phoenix, that's how far they had to go. These wise men, they came during the time of King Herod, and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, imagining the disturbance that would have happened when all of a sudden you're finding out that there's going to be a king that's going to come not from your generation, not from your genealogy, not from your people group, but from another people group that was actually going to come from your ancestor's twin brother, Jacob. Somebody else is going to be king in your place. This is a guy who had killed his own family members so that they wouldn't take his throne. He was crazy, yet he's finding out that there's going to be a new king. We saw his star, verse 2. When it came, when it rose, we've come to worship him. So he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Didn't skip a beat. My Bible doesn't have a pause. They replied, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. On coming to the house, we're not in a stable at this point. We're no longer around the nativity picture that you and I have featured in our homes, but when they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route." A question for you. At the end of all this Christmas, when we've already sang Happy New Year to each other, presents are opened, decorations are put away, Advent has completed, will you be closer to Jesus than when it started? Probably really depends on the answer to this question, which is in your notes this morning. What direction are you heading this Christmas? Susan and I have dear friends and mentors in North Carolina. We encountered them when we were first newlyweds, you know, over 20 years ago, Stan and Susan, also Foster. And and Susan Foster said a sentence that has stuck with us for all of these years, and it's something that we've tried to apply to every area of our life, particularly our life as parents. She said, you start out as you intend to go. Literally the best advice that we've been given in in so many different directions. We're we're reminded in that, that everything that we do is not about raising great kids. We don't want to raise great kids because they're not always going to be kids. We want to raise well-functioning, Christ-honoring adults. Like that's the goal. I was looking at a comedian this week, this lady named Heather Land, and her son just left the nest. Like he's literally moved out and she's complaining over the idea that she's just lamenting and she's huddled up in his room, you know, crying about it's empty and what people are going to do because she, she needs the church to start a meal train basically because she's so grieved over her son graduating and moving on in life and she says this more than anything here's what I really want to know why did no one prepare me for this I got all the unsolicited advice that I could handle when I was pregnant with him but now what where are all the advice givers now you start out as you intend to go there's the best advice that we could give. Wherever your feet are and whatever direction you're heading, that's where you're going to end up. So if you're focused on Christ, if you're focused on the cross, if you're paying attention to the manger, that's where you're going to end up this Christmas, and that's what you're going to have to show after it. But if you are deviated and distracted by so many other things as we approach this holiday, then those are going to be the things that you remember and that you celebrate the most. What direction are are you heading can you say with absolute confidence not cockiness mind you but confidence that the ways that you're spending your time and your resources and your energy this year are taking you further in the direction of Jesus what direction are you heading it's definitely going to be related to the answer to this question what do you long for the most what's the deepest longing of your heart Where is your focus? Where is your attention? Where is your adoration? (laughs) The unnamed magi. Maybe the wisest words that we could read this holiday season. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's it. To give him all of our focus, to give him all of our attention, to give him all of our adoration, to value him over and above everything else. The song says, oh, come, let us adore him. It doesn't say, oh, come, let us give a secondary cursory glance. When we're done figuring out everything else, then we can finally pay attention to Jesus. No, it's give him our everything. Where is our attention? What direction are we heading? What's the deepest longing of our hearts? That's what the story of the wise men presents to us. And history tells us, and even the language of the scriptures tell us that it probably wasn't the nativity. It wasn't an hour after Jesus was born that these guys were banging down the doors to the stable coming in to present their gifts And every mother in the room just said, thank goodness Because that's a time in our life when we really don't want to be crowded by that many people Bring us a meal, change a diaper, stay overnight and help But if you're a stranger, the gifts better be really, really good These guys came within the first two years of Christ's life So wise men they may mistakenly be at our nativities. And, and we do, we have the really nice nativity that we don't let the kids touch and it's got these nice statues of wise men presenting their treasures. We've got the little toy nativity that I brought out a couple of weeks ago as a part of the sermon. We've got the toy one that we allowed them to play with and tell the story over and over and over throughout the year. And it's, it's got all the little characters. It's got the wise men and their tents and their camels that we assume that they traveled on. Wise men may mistakenly be at our nativities but the biggest mistake was for others not to be. Go back to the text. Verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. No pause. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, when, when you read the idea of chief priests in your Bibles, that's referring to the Jewish ruling class called the Sadducees. They're the ones who had control of the temple during Herod's Israel, during this Roman Empire. When you read teachers of the law, some of your Bible translations say scribes. You can underline that and say, this is the Pharisees. These are the people that we know that Jesus had the most conflict with. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are present right here at the birth of Christ. I read a commentary this week, and it literally describes these two sects. It says, the Pharisees were a small legalistic sect of the Jews who were known for their rigid adherence to the ceremonially fine points of the law. Their name literally meant separated ones. Jesus, usually, as you continue to read through the Gospels, had conflict with them, and he rebuked them for using human tradition to nullify scripture, and especially for their rank hypocrisy. The idea of, oh, woe to you, teachers of the law, you scribes and you Pharisees, and he's told them why. You're focusing on the outside, not the inside. You're, you're, you're punishing other people for what they don't do. Well, look at what you are doing in the process, The Sadducees, however, were known for denying the supernatural, including resurrection of the dead. These are the people that wouldn't have believed that the Messiah came to die. They wouldn't have believed that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. They even denied the existence of angels. Unlike the Pharisees, they rejected any sort of human tradition, and they accepted only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They weren't looking at all of that prophecy. They weren't looking at all of that Jewish history. They weren't waiting for a Messiah to come and to rescue. They tended to be Wealthy, aristocratic members of the priestly tribe. In the days of Herod, they controlled the temple. They looked at the Pentateuch as authoritative and they scorned legalism. They were actually fewer than the Pharisees at this point, and the two had very little in common. He writes Pharisees were ritualistic, Sadducees were rationalists. The Pharisees were legalists and the Sadducees were liberal. The Pharisees were separatists, and the Sadducees were compromisers and political opportunists. And the only point of unification for these two groups was their opposition of Christ. How did they know Bethlehem? Because Micah 5.2 said, Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew, they knew to look, but they weren't. We have um, a a fun vacation with my in-laws every summer or every fall. We go to Oak Island, North Carolina. Um, It's a small little lazy beach town on the coast and we get to have vacation with Poppy and Gigi and they are fascinated by the turtle watch. In fact, there are sea turtles that, that crawl up on the shore in Oak Island, and they, they build their nests, and they have their eggs, and then they go back out to sea, and you can literally wait the appropriate number of days. I don't know how long it takes for them to hatch, but for these little tiny baby sea turtles to come up out of the sand, for their eggs to hatch, and for them to crawl towards the ocean. But a million things can happen in the middle of that. Some animal can come and dig it up. People who are at the beach can play and mess up the nest, and the, it's just this whole crazy thing. So there's these turtle watch organizations of people that want to protect the sea turtles. And so they put a cage over the nest so that no one will disturb it. They number it, they name it, they talk about the date that the turtle laid the eggs and then they dig this trench going out to make it just as easy as possible for the tiny little baby sea turtles once they hatch to crawl towards the ocean. And this is a, a picture from the paper in Oak Island and in the top left corner up there, that's my in-laws. They're just waiting for the sea turtles to hatch and make their way. And in the very center, you've already noticed the guy in the tank top, that's Josh Demel from All My Children and a whole bunch of movies in life. He was there too, and they sent us this picture. We don't know who this guy is, but we think he's famous, and he's here with us to watch the sea turtles hatch. And you can literally go out every day, and people are staying overnight to wait for the birth of these. You'll need to move it because everybody can't stop focusing on Josh Duhamel. <laughs> Eyes up here, people. Eyes right here. <laughs> they know when to look, and where to look, and what day to look, and they're there waiting and watching. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, they knew where, and they likely knew about when. God's people, they, they knew to look, but they didn't. Tony Evans said that they didn't act on what they studied. So I wrote out in the margin of my notes, do I? Does does what I read, and does what I believe, and does what I say, I devote my life to actually play out in life? These people, God's people, knew to look but didn't. And then you've got these foreign pagans, shouldn't have known or cared, but they did. Greatly. We get the nativity timeline wrong of when they arrived one to two years later to visit this child Jesus. We get the nativity timeline wrong with the wise men, but it's worth it, and I'm so glad that they're in my home. I'm so glad that they're around my nativity. I'm so glad that it's part of the story that we tell. We get the timeline wrong with the wise men, but it's worth it because of the fulfillment. If you go back to Isaiah the prophet, in chapter 49, verse six, he literally says, "Is it, too, or it is too small a thing for you to be my servant and, and restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And when we tell the wise men's story at Christmas, we're reminded that God is for all people. In fact, cumulatively, you can look back over this entire series and, and recognize that, that God is for all people. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 28, that there is neither Jew, and we've got good Jews in this passage of scripture. We've got Mary and Joseph who were devout, and they listened to the word of the Lord, and they wanted to do what he said. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. We've got wise men, coming from afar, literally 1,500 plus miles in order to find the baby Jesus, neither slave nor free. You can look at the poor and the rich and juxtapose those wise men and all of their resources and shepherds, poor people on a hill, nor is there male, we talked about Simeon, nor female, we talked about Anna. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's a place for everybody at this Christmas story. You don't need to feel left out you can be a part of it too. To fully understand a story, you got to lean into the backstory. You've got God's people who knew to look because of centuries-old prophecy but didn't, and then you've got these foreign pagans who shouldn't have known to look, but they did. How did they know a lot of scholars land on the idea that these guys are from Persia and beyond and if you go back to the book of Daniel and we talked about the statue that Nebuchadnezzar envisioned we talked about the statue that he built the the, the gold head the Babylonian empire that came and ransacked the temple and ransacked the holy city of Jerusalem and carted off these really well educated smart good looking boys to train them in the ways of the Babylonians and kids like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego they were carted off to live that life and in Daniel chapter 1 verse 18 it says at the end of the time that was set by the king De bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. King talked with them and he found none. These guys who had refused to eat the king's fine foods and drink his wines, these guys he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their names got changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, good Babylonian names. So they entered the king's service and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be 10 times better than all of the other magicians Magi, and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And it says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, the Persian who allowed the people to go back and to to rebuild the temple, the, the, the Ezra, the Nehemiah, the Queen Esther, then chapter two, he's, he's, he's solving this dream, this riddle for Nebuchadnezzar, and it says, then the king, because he was able to solve the dream and the riddle, he says, the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. You can see the story playing out. This young Jewish kid who was just good at a few things was all of a sudden taken into Nebuchadnezzar's court, and then he was raised and elevated to a position of authority within the whole country so that When Persia came in, there's Daniel. He's wise, he's trusted, he's in charge. And in chapter nine, if you go past the narratives with the really good stories that we like to tell kids about Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, if you get to the really complicated prophetic part in chapter nine, it says, while I was still in prayer, Daniel says, Gabriel. Y'all, that's the same angel that visited Mary. Gabriel. The man I had seen in an earlier vision came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice, verse 22 of Daniel chapter 9. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. My hunch is that the insight and understanding leaked. (laughs) And that all the people that Daniel had been in charge of those years heard what Daniel had to say about what God was going to do. And that these wise men for generations after that didn't stop paying attention. They didn't stop coming overnight. They didn't stop digging up the sand and trying to figure out when the story's going to hatch and when the sea... when the baby's gonna come and when the king is gonna be born, that they didn't stop looking, that they didn't stop watching, that they didn't stop guarding, that they didn't stop seeking the idea that somehow, even 600 years later, waiting and watching and looking, you think, wow, they were really still talking about Daniel. They were really still talking about his wise words. They were really still talking about those prophecies hundreds of years later. We still make middle schoolers memorize the words of William Shakespeare, so don't tell me that somebody's not talking about somebody from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, even today. We like looking at what people in the past said, we like imagining what that's like and studying what those words mean hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I don't know how they knew. We can't be certain if this is it. The point is that they did know And that it was the fulfillment of God's prophecy that Gentiles, people from all over the world would be included and get to be a part of the story. Psalm chapter 72, the writer says this, May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores way out east bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. Ding, 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 light bulb, gold, frankincense, myrrh. May all the kings, verse 11, bow down to him and all nations not just this Jewish people, but all nations serve him. Uh, This story of the wise men, it's worth bringing to your nativity because of the fulfillment of prophecy that you and I would be included in the story, but it's also worth it because of the example. Back to the story, Matthew chapter two, verse 11, it says, "On coming to the house." we're not in a manger anymore. This baby Jesus is no longer lying there and swaddling clothes anymore. He's teetottering around the house with Mary trying to baby proof the home so that he doesn't stick his hand in a light socket or something crazy because you know we didn't want to ruin the story before it ultimately got started. This is the, the toddler Jesus, and these guys are coming in to present him with some really unlikely gifts, and it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. You can get a note down into the margin that Matthew never mentions the child with his mother without saying the child first. Jesus is going to be first in our life. That song that we sing, Round Young Virgin Mother and Child, got it a little bit backwards. It should have been Round Young Virgin Child with its mother. And the wise men came in to worship that kid, to present him with gifts. And scripture says they bowed down and worshiped him. The first people to do what everyone will do were the magi. Philippians 2.10 says that at the name of Jesus, as Paul talking about the distant future, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And we're all ultimately gonna declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. These guys are getting on their knees and nonverbal cue right here declaring this baby that we're sitting in front of is not only King of the Jews, he is Lord of all the first people who are gonna do what everybody will do, were are the Magi. Really good stories. They give us a lot of depth in the details. Scripture says they, they, they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts, and that would have been enough, but we get to actually know what the gifts are. It's gold, it's frankincense, and, and myrrh and you have heard this before, that there's, there's, a, there's a rich symbolism in, in what those gifts are. Gold would have been given to any king, and this is a, a poor couple who could barely afford two birds to go and take to the temple and present themselves as pure and to present this baby as set apart in, in front of their traditional worship practice. This is a, a poor couple and a tiny baby, and he's being presented with the gifts that would have been given to a great king. This frankincense or incense would have been used in temple worship practices to, to light the incense and to burn the incense as a pleasing aroma to God, it would have been symbolism of the fact that this Jesus is not just a king, but he's also God himself, and not just God himself, but the priest who would come and make worship on our behalf, who would orchestrate the sacrifice on our behalf, and the idea of myrrh, that's an embalming oil, an expensive perfume, an expensive embalming oil, the symbolism of Jesus coming so that Jesus could die. Every one of those gifts means something, but logistically, It just gave the family money. If you continue in Matthew chapter 2, you'll learn that Herod went on a rampage and started murdering every boy under the age of two when the wise men had first seen the star in the whole land because he didn't want there to be a king that would come and take his throne. While he's killing all the baby boys, Joseph was warned and he headed down to Egypt with Mary and the child. And it would appear from the story that they now had the financial means to do it. The very best stories give us really good depth in the details, but they also center on the idea of journey and sacrifice. How How far would you go? Look at the wise men, 1500 plus miles in order to go and find a king that they had only been warned about from ancient prophecies. How much are you willing to give in order to show Christ at Christmas? We know that our presence and our, our generosity, they, they have an impact on other people. At else we talk about the idea of a, of a red envelope, giving a gift to Christ at Christmas because we're giving a gift to everybody else, and so we might as well celebrate his birth in that way and what that will go to accomplish and how it will provide something for generations to come and people to come and experience Christ in, in brand new ways as a part of his church. We, we give to others who are in need at Christmas. You give to your family members and your friends, not because of some obligatory gift exchange, but because in some ways, you want to honor the memory and mirror the sacrifice of of wise men who came bearing gifts to Jesus and then realistically you honor honor Christ who came giving the very best gift of all how how much are you willing to give and sacrifice to to show Christ at Christmas and then how far are you willing to go to see him Warren Wearsby that's a fun name he pastor, writer, theologian that puts together some commentaries that we look at to to glean what's going on in in these passages of scriptures. He says that these magi were seeking the king. King Herod was opposing the king, but the religious people, they were ignoring the king. We seem really concerned um, this day and age for anybody that would oppose Christianity, anybody that would oppose Christ. And and we wanna come up in arms and, and we wanna go to battle and lay it all out for anybody that would oppose Jesus, for anybody that would deny this word, for anybody that would reject this truth. I gotta tell you, I am far less concerned with the people who oppose this than I am with the people who ignore this. The religious leaders were five miles away from baby Jesus, and they did not go. They knew to look, but they didn't. And then you got these foreign pagans who who shouldn't have known, but they did. The, the, The very best thing that you and I can do at Christmas is to figure out that there is a great example to follow. It doesn't matter how the wise men knew. It matters what they did. They came, and they saw, and they worshiped. How do you know Christ at Christmas? You've probably all got a really great story of how you learned about him, how you came at some point in your life maybe to place faith in him. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe today's the day that you want to declare, okay, I surrender, I believe this. I want to submit my life to it. But every one of us will have some crazy, mixed up, different story of how we came to Jesus. But what matters the most is what you did when you came to Jesus. Reject him. Ignore him. Or, or, or seek him even more. Where's your direction going to be the next six days leading up to Christmas? What, where are your feet facing? Where is your attention going? What is your focus on? Let's we'll talk about the, the 12 days after, leading up to that. Where, where's it going for the next year after or 12 years after? What, what direction are you heading? What is the deepest longing of your heart? Is it to seek him and to know him and then to help others seek him and to know him? If you look at your December, take an inventory of your Christmas. If you look at your December, taking an inventory of everything that you've included this month, is it obvious to anyone and everyone around you who Jesus is? Better yet, if somebody who's clueless to the Christmas story doesn't know any of the characters, doesn't know any of the narrative, doesn't understand any of the truth, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't get why in the world you would live your life according to any of the things that this book says, if someone who is far from Jesus just decided to copy you this week, do everything that you do, experience everything that you experience, say everything that you say, and look at it. Will they see Christ? Or, or just a whole bunch of other distractions turning you in every other direction except for this one. I get so nervous about the people who get close but then never believe. Five miles and they didn't go look. I get so excited about the people who are really far away and just can't wait to get there. Is it really obvious what your Christmas is all about? And if somebody else did Christmas just like you, would it be the baby Jesus that they see? and ultimately, the sacrificial lamb that they find. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this day. We celebrate this time when we're able to come together and to talk about your word and what it means when we get to encounter these characters and look at their stories and understand the richness of the meaning. Father, my prayer today is that we, like the wise men, would commit our whole lives, everything that we have, to seeking and finding Jesus. We know that scripture gives us a promise that we will find you when we seek you with all of our hearts. So God, would you help that to be our primary? Would you help that to be our only focus this year? May we see Christ, and would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us remove all of the distractions, all of the cultural interruptions, all of the things that tend to push us in so many different directions, and help us see your Son, and make much of Him, so that other people can see Him and know Him too. It's in His holy and precious name that we pray, and to His fame that we dedicate our lives and this church.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. And from there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.